Hello and welcome to the Third Sector Podcast. I'm Lucinda Rouse. I'm Russell Hargrave. And I'm Alina Martin. We are reporters at Third Sector, the UK's leading publication for the voluntary and not-for-profit sector. This week, we will be marking the King's coronation by looking at the role and importance of royal patrons to charities, from how voluntary organisations can go about acquiring a royal patronage to who already has them and the possible pros and cons of having a royal attached. So we are currently in something of a period of flux following the death of the Queen and King Charles's accession. The royal household is conducting a review of the royal patronage system. He appears to be pushing for a more slimmed down royal family with fewer working royals. And it'll be interesting to see what this means for charities and the patrons that they are able to get and possibly also retain. And there was that little bit of excitement, wasn't there, when he made his first speech as king, that he threw charities and civil society in there. There was a shout out from the new King Charles for everything that charities did for the country. So he was hinting that he sees the role that charities play in this country, but also slimming down the number of charities the royal household might support. So more focused, maybe. Yeah. And it's also worth noting that the big help out is a key component of the coronation celebrations an initiative that we covered a few weeks ago on the Third Sector podcast, encouraging people to go out and volunteer on the Bank Holiday Monday of the coronation in an attempt to increase volunteer numbers and the spirit of volunteering generally. And it's an interesting test. Does the king's name being attached to something get more people out volunteering? People who wouldn't volunteer normally, would they feel inspired to do so just because he's suggesting it's a good idea? Or will the whole thing, as the Observer reported the other day, is there a danger it'll be a big damp squib? I'm sure we'll get onto that later. Well, maybe after the event. <laughs> yeah, or yeah. I mean, or we can wait and see what actually happens before passing judgment. That's very old-fashioned. Yeah, I think it's an interesting point, though, in terms of what the public reaction to an initiative such as that linked to the coronation is likely to be. Perhaps we can think also about perceptions of the of the royal family more generally. There was a YouGov poll which was conducted for BBC's Panorama, came out in the last week or so, and found that 38% of 18 to 24-year-olds in the UK would prefer an elected head of state over keeping the monarchy. We've been talking a lot about donor patterns, involvement of members of Gen Z in the voluntary sector, and I guess that will also apply to the whole royal patronage conversation in terms of would having a royal patron attached to your charity necessarily be something that's considered positive by younger generations. Alina, you're our Gen Z representative. Would it mean anything to you? Barely Gen Z. Um, (laughs) It's interesting. I'm also obviously an immigrant to this country. So the whole idea of the royal family was very new to me. And I'm still kind of coming to terms with how important it is to the UK as a country and how lasting an institution it is. I think definitely having any sort of association with the Queen Mm -hmm. would have had some sort of meaning to me. As for King Charles, I feel like, well, nobody really knows him as King yet, so we're yet to see what that means. But I am fascinated by his involvement in the environmental sector, so I'm interested to see what it is that he does. I'm also 
very aware as a Gen Z and an immigrant of the younger royals' involvement in the mental health cause area. So in that sense, I'd say, sure, they're still relevant. But personally, speaking for people that I know and speak to on a daily basis, I don't think Queen Camilla's association with the charity would mean anything in particular to a younger audience. That's an interesting anecdotal observation. You have also been looking into data and research. Would you mind telling us what you found? Well, I've been looking into various studies and one particular, since I'm talking about various members' popularity, one particular study by NFP Research showed that 42% of the public said they would be more likely to support a charity that had Kate Middleton as a patron, followed closely by Prince William with 39%, and then Princess Anne with 38%, and King Charles with 35%, which I thought was interesting. I mean, it's intriguing that the king is so far down the list. Do we know why Kate Middleton has the sort of special source for this? Why she's so popular? That's an interesting question. I think it's definitely related to the fact that she is younger and she has been actively presenting herself as a patron and sort of dedicating a lot of her time and public engagements to visits to charities, but also speaking from experience with the charities that she represents. She's involved a lot with education and children, early years education, and healthcare, particularly that deals with children. Mm -hmm. And as a mother, you can see where the, the personal connection comes from when it comes to mental health as well. She has spoken about her own experience with becoming part of the royal family and suddenly coming into the public eye. Mm -hmm. So that is a pretty relatable experience. I think that factors in a lot, as opposed to a royal who may have been in this position since birth, there isn't as much relatability. And I think relatability, particularly when it comes to a younger audience, is a big factor to a person's popularity. It's really interesting. And we talk about authenticity and everything that charities do. Does it have yeah. that kind of stamp of people who really get what the cause is? And it sounds like from your research... Kate Middleton might have found, found a way to do this, at least with some of the causes. Yes, for sure. Tim Harrison Byrne, who is the managing director of NFP Research, said in relation to this research that celebrity endorsements are a fantastic tool for charities, but the public needs to believe that there is a commitment from the public figure to the cause at hand. If there isn't a mission alignment, then it's harder for people to buy into the association. Yeah, I guess now would be an opportune time to look into what the role of a royal patron can be. And obviously, it must depend partly on the personality of the patron themselves and the level of involvement that they have with the respective charities, because I believe there was some other research conducted which showed that a vast proportion of charities who have a royal patron did not in fact have a royal visit in mm. the year that the research was conducted. So in the words of the royal family, having a royal patron or president provides vital publicity for the work of these organisations and allows their enormous achievements and contributions to society to be recognised. So exposure. Royal visits attract attention and interest around a charity 
and its cause. And perhaps one of the most obvious examples that come to mind is Princess Diana and the Halo Trust mm. when she went to Angola, kitted out and walked in a minefield. That must have done huge things for that charity and awareness of what they were doing. And those pictures are so iconic. I yeah. mean, we're going back several decades now, but those still do the rounds in press stories and online pieces whenever not just her charity work, but Diana herself is talked about, right? You get those images of her in the minefield with the face mask on, mm. doing something that no one had ever seen a royal do before. So it's obviously charities can be a way for royals to also sort of push the envelope of what their role is in public life, right? That's not necessarily the way that they would choose to emphasise it, but that's clearly part of the game. Mm. Um, and yeah, you'd also add, I guess, some of her work with sort of HIV charities. Yeah. When you talk to the Terence Higgins Trust, for example, they still talk incredibly warmly about the way in which Diana managed to move public opinion away from some of the stigmas that existed so much in the 80s and 90s towards where we are now, where society, I think, is a much better place for dealing with these issues. She rightly gets a lot of credit for that, and she used charities as a, as a way to get there. Yes, and I think looking more to the present day, or perhaps in the past 10 years or so, the way that the younger royals, William and Catherine, and also Prince Harry, have been raising awareness and trying to remove some of the stigma attached to mental health. So I don't know, would you call that like lobbying for cause areas? A little bit. I mean, I don't think lobbying is a dirty word. Charities try and say campaigning or advocacy, but lobbying you know, ultimately is what everyone's doing. Yeah, I mean, I remember seeing William and Harry on telly, both talking about their personal experiences of having mental health troubles, and in particular that William had helped advise Harry to go and get a little bit of help. It's, again, really unusual to see men talk about that at all, let alone very sort of establishment, slightly sort of buttoned up bits of British society. And that changed a wee bit. Of course, that probably isn't happening anymore. We're not going to see those two guys appear on telly again talking about the importance of mental health work in this country. I'm very glad it did happen, though. That's a way that the conversation has been moved on. Yeah. Another area is endorsement, sort of mark of quality and recognition of what a charity has been doing. The royal seal of approval, I guess, similar to royal warrants that get given out to companies that provide services and so on to the royal family. Fundraising, though. Alina, I think you've been looking into other research that shows that having a royal association doesn't necessarily lead more people to donate to that charity. Yes, exactly. So a more pragmatic look at the associations between a royal figure to a charity was given by a 2020 study by the charity consultancy Giving Evidence, which looked at the year 2019 and how charities that do have a royal patronage have performed financially compared to charities that in the same cause area that don't have a royal patronage. And the conclusion seems to be that charities should not seek or retain patronages expecting that they will help much financially. You talked about that seal of approval. So according to the figures from the Giving Evidence report, there is no indication that the charities who have a royal patronage have a higher standard of service or that they spend more money on their service users as opposed to those charities in the same cause area who don't have a royal patronage. And also... 
there is no evidence that announcing that a charity has secured a royal patronage has had any effect on that charity's fundraising or overall income in that year. So it's a bit difficult in financial terms to establish what it is that charities get from having a royal patron. However, the NFP research that I referred to earlier did say that overall members of the public were more likely to support a charity if it was endorsed by a royal now than they were in 2018. So depending on the methodology of the research, you do get conflicting results. Mm. However, the Giving Evidence 2020 study did pretty much clarify that financially there is no perceivable benefit. Hmm. Can I throw in one other bit of research? I'm nervous going toe-to-toe with Alina, who's done far more work on this than I have ahead of today, but there was some research by the What Works Centre for Wellbeing into what it is exactly that volunteers get out of giving their time for free. Loads of benefits to volunteering, we know that, but one of them included in there is that kind of reciprocity, that sense of your giving something back, you're helping your local community, a cause you care about, but also that's being recognised that there's some way of your role being identified and, and indeed that you feel that you're being thanked for it. I would imagine that included in that is the idea that you have patrons who might turn up occasionally and shake some hands and have a look at what you're doing and give that sort of hard to quantify kite mark of approval to mm. the work that you've done. And the wider context for that is we know from recent data that volunteering levels are falling away quite sharply at the moment. So if you're a charity and you're thinking, what can we do that gives us an incremental advantage in Mm -hmm. attracting new volunteers, holding on to them? Nobody becomes a volunteer so that they can meet Princess Anne one day. But if Princess Anne turns up, the volunteers like it. I guess that's the way I put it. So is that going to give a charity a bit of an advantage at a time when fewer and fewer people are actually giving their time for free? This is a very good point, and I also want to acknowledge that the Giving Evidence study does bring up this aspect of morale boosting. Mm. So the idea that the charity that you volunteer for or work for has a royal patron may make people feel like they are part of something bigger and feel a certain level of satisfaction related to that. But when it comes to an effect on charities' revenues, then there was no perceivable difference. Yeah, it'd be interesting to know whether charities went into it hoping that it would generate more cash. And in that case, have they been disappointed? The benefits might be a little bit intangible when actually the the balance sheet hasn't changed, even if you've had royals on your books for 10 years. Does that change what charities decide to do the next 10 years? Yeah, I guess it also begs the question of how much of a time and resource investment goes into having a royal patron. Mm. I mean, given that a large proportion of charities with royal patronages don't necessarily have a visit in a particular year from their patron. It must take a lot of time and effort to coordinate a royal visit, but if they're not having them in the first place, then that it's not really relevant, is it? Yes, the figure for 2019 was 74% of charities that had a royal patron did not receive a single visit, Mm. whereas only 1% of charities with a royal patronage received more than one public engagement with them in that year. And they also were overwhelmingly bigger charities. So charities that would perhaps not need as much publicity. Listen, what were you saying, though, about the king 
having adopted a sort of a community charity he saw one day. Yes, this is uh, actually on the Royal website, on royal.uk, where you can Your find Your favourite website. <laughs> yes, on my bookmarks. Uh, <laughs> you can find out quite a bit of information about the Royal's involvement with charities and their patronages. And they cited then Prince Charles, the Prince of Wales's visit to the Melmaby and Felside village shop following a visit to the village in 2004 he became a member of the society to save this shop. The obvious question at this point for any journalist, is it still open? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> it's hard to know, though. Does that, how does, so how does that square with the fact that when he then became king, he said, well, let's... Well, he, the implication was that there were going to be fewer, bigger charity engagements by royals. But it sounds like, at least at one point, as Prince Charles, if he got to see your local shop, he joined the uh, the official masthead for your <laughs> charity just because he felt sorry for what you were doing. I presume his attitudes have changed. Well, I think that charity still remains very important, and it always has been. Coming back to the research and the figures, which is what I'm here for, in 2019, 26% of royal public engagements were related to charities. And if you think of public appearances as what their work is, then more than a quarter of their workload is related to charity. So that definitely sends a very positive message. Now, the research also points out that a lot of the royals' time is spent mostly on charities that they themselves have set up. So in 2019... The charities set up by royals made up 2% of the charities that they are patrons of, and 36% of their time was spent on those charities. It's interesting, isn't it? Because then you extend that out to outside of royals. So, you know, footballers love setting up their own foundations. They'll often sit as either patrons or trustees there, but essentially it's their baby. It's something they've created because they feel really strongly about it. There was Raheem Sterling's foundations in the news at the moment. So I guess it's sort of human nature, isn't it? It's not just the one, the charities that you end up, as you say, it's your ribbon cutting responsibility to be there. But if you've created something yourself, I guess it's not surprising that people put more time and effort into those than anything else. Mm. So we have interrogated the reasons for acquiring a royal patronage. So perhaps looking more at the pros, how about some of the cons? Russ, I know there's one particular area that you are very keen to talk about. Uh, this, this is Prince Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want... Can I just say, if Alina's reputation in the pod is as the Gen Z with all of the data at her fingertips, I don't really want my reputation to be the guy who wants to talk about Prince Andrew. But it's true, upstairs I did mention I thought this was important. No, I mean, so Prince Andrew has been stripped of all of his royal patronages. That happened before his mother, the Queen, died. And it happened in response to the fact that he became embroiled in this just... Uh, Pauling scandal where his attempt to sort of get himself out of trouble, going on to Newsnight, talking to Emily Maitlis, just made things 10 times worse. And I remember when I was writing for a different publication, but phoning some charities where Prince Andrew was the patron the day after that Newsnight appearance and saying, well, what do you guys make of this? And I did find people who were quite sympathetic to his cause and wanted to stand by him, but not many. And those charities realised that the association that they had hoped, I think, as Lean has already described, will it bring in money? Will it help people turn up to events? Will it give that kind of stamp of approval to your charity? I imagine they were surprised to find themselves in a position where actually there was a danger their brand was now going to get damaged. I'd imagine very few charities are saying, we wish that Andrew was closer to our cause these days. So one big con 
what happens if the royal patron turns out to have an absolutely terrible fall in their public stock mm. to a point where you have to run as fast as you can in the other direction and it's the nature of public reputation you never quite know when or why that's going to happen yes prince andrew used to patronize 198 charities mm. that's no small number however let's take a step back and think about what has the impact been on those charities the obvious reaction was to distance themselves from him he was no longer a patron and then they can move on and perhaps replace him, perhaps replace him with another member of the royal family, perhaps replace him with another celebrity, which is perhaps another interesting area to look at is could having a royal patron actually hinder other patrons, which might appeal, for example, more to younger generations Mm. from coming in. And I'd add one other thing to that as well. One con there, as you say, how much of an impact did it really have on charities to have Prince Andrew there one day and not the next? To some extent, that would also add to the idea that royal patrons, it's pretty hard to pin down exactly the benefit you're getting. This is true. And again, as somewhat of a foreigner and a younger person, to be completely honest, I didn't know much about Prince Andrew before the scandal. (laughs) However, Prince Andrew is not the only person who's let's say, social capital has dipped over the past few years. Research from NFP research suggests that the same is true to an extent, much lesser extent, of course, for the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, whose public support has gone down, particularly since the so-called Megxit. So as a charity, you never really know how public attitudes are going to change towards your patron, be it a royal or a celebrity. So I guess it's a risk that they all have to take. And can I add in a quick example? As you've mentioned, Prince Harry, I did a story last week about Centabale, his mm. charity that works in Sotho and Botswana. They well, they didn't have a particularly difficult time financially during the COVID crisis, but they did have a little less income than they normally would have expected. And lo and behold, in this year's accounts, they've got one and a half million dollar donation from who? Prince Harry, who's stepped in, put his hand in his pocket for a charity that he is the patron and the founder and has bailed them out of a little bit of financial trouble and they can carry on providing, you know, really essential work with kids living with HIV in some of the very poorest countries in the world. So especially when somebody has stepped outside of the kind of the constraints of the royal system and is working a bit more independently, let's be honest. He's able to just act as a normal donor. This sort of thing happens all the time, but this is headline worthy because it's Prince Harry doing it. So it's possible that those guys are getting a benefit out of their association more than any of the other charities we've mentioned. And that's unusual, is it, for charities to receive a lump sum from their patron? It's not unheard of. So charities can get, of course, financial help from trustees, from patrons, even from staff sometimes. And especially at a time of crisis, those are people that charities can call on and say, you know, well, you're our patron and, you know, we've been really proud to be associated with you. Now's the time to put your hand in your pocket because we're about to go bust. But it's unusual to see something of that size. Um, Essentially, not to get into the details of too much, the the charity had about three million quid last year and 1.2 million pounds came from Prince Harry. Mm. So he essentially paid for half of it out of his own pocket. That level of funding is very unusual. Well, now we're on to uh, money. It is interesting to look at the cost-benefit analysis of the royal family when it comes to their patronages and their charitable work. The giving evidence research from 2020 did some maths and said that if public engagements are an indication of workload, 
then 26% of the royal's work is for their patron charities, which is equivalent to about £90 million a year, which raises the question, does this demonstrate value for money for the taxpayer? And another very interesting point that the study makes is that if we think of royal patronages as something that we pay for with public money, then why do some charities get this public benefit and others don't? Which I guess leads us nicely into how do you even get a royal patronage as a charity? Yeah. What is the selection process? Well, I have been doing a little bit of research into that. And again, on the Royal UK website, I highly recommend that anybody interested pays a visit. (laughs) It says that applications for the patronage of any member of the royal family are submitted to the appropriate private secretary who will pass on requests which they think may be of interest to the member of the royal family that they work with. If the member of the royal family thinks that one of those requests would be rewarding or important to take on, then they would usually ask for more research to be undertaken so that an informed decision can be made. Then they will look into a variety of different factors, including checking that the organisation making the request is reputable and well-established, has a good financial track record. And then once it's been decided that the patronage will be taken on, the duration of it must be decided. Is this going to be a, a lifelong commitment? Is it going to be for a couple of years or around a specific event or whatever? There's no set length. So essentially, I think, get the contact details of the private secretary that you want to approach. I mean, this is not a phrase I use very often in third sector towers, but Alina is right, isn't she? It's not a very transparent system. You've got the royal family, taxpayer backed, who will lend their largesse to some charities. Charities also get public tax breaks and financial advantages like that, but not all. And... If I was a charity and I thought I'd love to have an association with Kate Middleton, what exactly is the metrics by which she and her team are going to decide to take that charity under her wing? There aren't any. We don't know. She'll check that the reputations are right. She'll check they're financially sustainable. Above and beyond that, we don't really know anything. So it's not very transparent. And I am a real kind of stickler for the fact that awful lot of things about charities aren't transparent enough. And this is yet another one in which you've also got to get involved, you know, the royal family and all their associations and all their sort of social advantages. It doesn't sit quite right that there's no way in for anyone to understand how these decisions are made. So are you calling for a reform of the system, Russ? I'm calling for the overthrow of them. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> uh, I think it would be really interesting if you set it up almost like a kind of a call for funding, you know, when you have a lot of Funders, big institutional funders, are very open about how they're going to make their funding decisions, what they want, what they'll back, what they won't, how quickly they'll make a decision. In this situation, you've got patronages from one of the most powerful families in the world, but there's none of that. So, yeah, why not put it on an open? We create another website. Never mind you going to royal.gov. We'll have another one. Let's call it, you know, bemycharity.royal.gov. And they'll have lay out exactly what they want to help and how you can apply, and then they'll publish those applications and decisions in due course. Brilliant. Also, I could fill 20 news bulletins with stories based on that. Interestingly, while there are no clear parameters for how the decision-making process goes on, figures show that the charities with a royal patronage are predominantly concentrated in the nature and animals and culture and sport cause areas. So already here you have a suggestion that perhaps 
more politically sensitive charities wouldn't make it onto the list. Although increasingly you could argue that climate is a political cause area. Mm. Geographically as well, they are mostly located in London and the south of England, ostensibly because that's where the family lives and it would make it easier for them to go to these engagements should they want to or be able to. But again, it's unclear why this is. Yeah, it's not as if the royal family doesn't travel around the whole country and up to Scotland and west to Wales and all the rest of it. They've got helicopters. It's an interesting point you make about political charities. When I used to work for a charity that helped refugees, it was a sort of a running joke in the organisation that it was a lot easier to get people to help and save the panda than it was to help and save asylum seekers. Now, it was our job to try and correct that a little bit. But, you know, there are sort of slightly in inverted commas, safer areas for people to back and support and give their time. So, yeah, what you say about environmental charities and animal welfare charities, those are the maybe the, the cuddlier end of the charity system. I'm not surprised that's where we find the royals. But if it so happens that the area of personal interest for the current royals is primarily the environment, animals, conservation, and so on, then it makes sense that that's where those um, patronages are concentrated. And that's also linked to the authenticity of the patronages, as, as you were talking about earlier, Alina, and how if there is an obvious link between the royal and the charity that they are patronising, then it's likely to be a more successful, more impactful relationship. So yes, if, if you are considering applying really making sure that your argument for them joining is tailored to their own individual personal interests. Yeah, and consider also from the charity perspective, since this is one of the most closely scrutinised families in the world, it does make sense to have a partnership that makes sense because you know it will be looked into. So it could very easily backfire if they then take on a cause that doesn't make sense or that people feel is disingenuous. Yeah, I'd be interested to know. I, mean, I don't think we have the answer to this. I'd be interested to know how much horse trading there is in the background. You know, one minor royal says to another one, oh God, well, I'll do these two equine charities if you'll take this charity that supports polo players off my hands. You know, like there must be a certain amount of trading going on. Well, in this current period of flux, you'd think that's probably exactly what's going on. <laughs> I mean, not to take sides, but as somebody who has read Spare, Harry's memoir. You're the person who's read Spare. I oh, have. good, good. Okay. Look, there are a few of us. We have talked amongst each other. He does, at one point in the book, report that there was some back and forth between him and William around who should be taking over animals in Africa and who should be taking over veterans. William may have felt like that looking after armed forces related charities may have been his remit. Harry disagreed because of his experience with being in the army and that was a huge point of contention between them so probably yeah there would be some discussions behind the scenes. See I didn't know there was a charity angle to the book. That's a lot more interesting to me than the stuff that did come out. This makes me think I should probably actually get a copy and read. Or what, can I borrow your copy? Yeah, you can have it.
We hope you found this discussion useful in considering the role of the royal family in the voluntary sector as we mark this very significant celebration of King Charles's coronation. We hope you have a very enjoyable long weekend to celebrate. Next week, Alina and I will be back talking about representation in charity advertising campaigns. And if you want to know more about patronages, particularly how royal patronages compare to celebrity patronages, you can read my in-depth on the Third Sector website. So if you're unsure on how to approach people to be your patron or whether having a patron is even something that you should think about, do check that out. Which just leaves me to thank Alina and Russ for your research and contributions and our producer Navpal.